Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, that's actually tomorrow, by the way, this word was given 2,540 years ago on the precise date of tomorrow, the very last day of the Feast of Tishri. On the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Say, I'm in the remnant. Who is left among you, who saw the temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? He says, look at the church. Does the church look like it's nothing compared to its former glory? And yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land. All you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I'm with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. For thus the Lord of hosts once more, for thus says the Lord of hosts once more, it is in a little while I will shake the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I'm going to shake the nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter temple shall exceed that of the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give them peace, says the Lord of hosts. May God add his blessing to reading the word. You may be seated. So what he's saying is, is that the glory of the latter church will exceed that even of the apostolic church in Acts chapter 2. But there's going to be a shaking that we go through in the world as a nation and in the whole world gets shaken to its... How many of you believe we've been through a shaking? Amen? And the shaking that we go through is going to facilitate a move of God and the move of God is going to be facilitated by the remnant of God. There's a remnant that remains faithful to the Word of God. So what exactly is a remnant? A remnant is just those who remain. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, it says about the latter days, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods. The King James Version says meats which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. He's saying there's going to be a generation that will arise that does the following. They desecrate the institution of marriage. They no longer believe it's valid in their culture. They advocate vegetarianism as the proper way to live. They view the Christian definition of sin as restrictive and old-fashioned. We are, they, they are clearly hypocritical in their beliefs. They say one thing and they do another. For example, I want to use an example that might give you some context on this. They tell a woman that she has dominion over her own body. And if she likes to have an abortion, then that's totally, totally up to her. But then they turn around and tell her that she has to get a vaccination. She lost dominion over her own body all of a sudden somewhere. Come on. Their whole, their whole reasoning and their whole logic is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's full of conflicts and it's full of hypocrisy. He says that, they are hypocr that they're hypocritical and they seek teachers that will teach what their itching ears long to hear. Now, this is the important part about this. This ain't the world. This is the church. They left the faith. They were in the faith and they left the faith or they traded the faith for a new updated Gospel. The word says how quickly you have, Paul said, you switched to another gospel. The church that refuses, the church that refuses to compromise on the word of God, that's the remnant of God. And the remnant God is going to work through in a powerful way. The remnant will become, in the last days, the instrument of a great outpouring of God. The remnant will also be the generational stewards to which the wealth of the wicked is transferred in Proverbs chapter 13, 22. God is about to do, there's, there's a tremendous shifting happening in our world today. If you believe that, say amen. 
And things are being exposed. He told us back months ago, that which is hidden will be exposed, that which is covered up will be revealed. And he's doing that. If you believe that, say amen. But the last days, see, this is the part that intrigues me. This is why I believe in the last days awakening. So there has to be a return in the last days. The whole, the whole theme of last days. Now, last days, when I say last days, I'm not talking about today's the last day. We're all going to heaven tomorrow. Well, I'm talking about the last era of the church. The last era of the church. It's when God accomplishes his last things. And the last era of the church could last for hundreds of years. I mean, we don't know how long it'll last. But we're definitely in it because prophetically we know we've seen all the signs. So we're in the last era, era of the church. And what the last era of the church is, the hallmark of it is a returning. A returning. Jesus returns. And, that, and, it's, and it's captivated with the final return of Jesus. But there's all kinds of returning that's taking place in the time that we live. And I heard Jonathan Kahn he was being interviewed by Robert Morris, and he had a take on this whole idea of returning that we have a video clip I want to show you that is so powerful. It's, it's so, it so explains the things that you're seeing now. So first, there has to be, a, to be a returning, there has to be a separation. First, you have to have a separation. The Jews and the church were together at one time, and now there's this magnificent returning that's happening. So I want you to just listen to what he talks about, about what characterizes the last days the last era of the church, amen? Watch this. The end times are days of return. And so you got the, so first thing it said, the Bible says the Jewish people are gonna to return to Israel. So they've returned to Israel, just like it says. It says they're gonna to return to Jerusalem. So they, they return to Jerusalem. It says they're gonna to return to him. Jesus said, I'm not coming again, guys. You know, until you, Jewish people say, Baruch haba Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, all that's happening. So it's not just the, the physical return, yeah. it's a spiritual return. It seems like no other time in history yeah. have Jews and Gentiles come together yes. like they are now. Like you talk yes. about living in biblical times. Yes. I mean, in the last 20 years, 40 years, right. I, 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 it's right. more than ever. What, what do you think about that? Right, that's right. Total, totally. I mean, I mean we, we, we are seeing things that generations of Christians prayed for. I mean, you know, and it's all part, it, it, it's, a, it's a prophetic thing. Because, see, for two, you know, 2,000 years ago, if we were back in Bible times, those, those Bible times, yeah. it would have it been together. It was all, you know, all the yeah. first believers were Jewish, and then it was Jew and Gentile, and they called them Yeshua. And the, the biggest, the biggest uh, controversy is, do you have to be circumcised to believe in Jesus. I mean, that's how Jewish it was. I mean, you know, you know, it's the opposite of the world. You know, I grew up saying the one thing you can't believe in is Jesus. You know, you can be, you can be into uh, yoga, you can be into atheism, you can be into anything you want, but the one thing you can't believe in... As a is, Jewish person. As a Jewish, the one person you can't believe, yeah, is, is, is this rabbi. I mean, it's great. Rabbi, this one who, because if you do, he, you won't be Jewish. And I said, well, wow, he must be very powerful if you can turn a Jewish person who, into a non-Jew. That's, he must be the Messiah yeah. just to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, I said, but, but it's, he's, it's the most Jewish thing in the world. I didn't realize when I started, when, when I started opening up, you know, uh, the Bible, we had a, we had a, only the Hebrew scriptures. I said, it says, it says Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. I said, that, that, that's Catholic. How do they get into our thing? Bethlehem. Yeah. He's going to come on a donkey. He's going to die for our sins. Isaiah 53. That's, how did they get into our Bible? And so I said, what, this is Jewish? Yeah. The most Jewish thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. So, so the thing is that, the thing is that 2,000 years goes all together. But then it's split. Then it's split. And that's the problem. Yep. Jewish people, most Jewish people didn't receive, even though all the first believers were, they, they went this way. But the church also lost. It yep. wasn't just the Israel right. that lost. Right. The church lost its roots. The yep. church lost its, its, its heritage. It lost the destiny. It lost its identity as, you know, listen, it, you know, if you're, if you're born again today, I've been talking to everybody, you're born, you are Jewish. You are spiritually Jewish. That, that's not just, that's not hype. The Bible says you are a citizen of Israel more than you're anything else. I mean, on the outside, you may look one way, but you are a child of Abraham. That is, it's the most Jewish thing in the world. I mean, yeah. it's this thing called Christianity. It means the faith of Messiah. That's what Christianity means. So what's happened is what was separated is, be, is coming back together, yeah. you know, and it started with, you know, the end times are days of return. And so you got the, so first thing it said, the Bible says the Jewish people are going to return to Israel. So they've returned to Israel, just like it says. It says they're going to return to Jerusalem. So they, they return to Jerusalem. It says they're going to return to him. Jesus said, I'm not coming again, guys, you know, until you, Jewish right. people, say, Baruch haba Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, all that's happening. So it's not just the, the 
physical return. Yeah. It's a spiritual return. Yeah. And if the Jewish people are returning, that means the church has to return. That's why we are seeing things that have not been seen for 2,000 years. The fact is, I mean, you can go to churches now and you see the shofar is blown. What yeah. is that? That yeah. never happened before. Yeah. Yeah. They call them Yeshua. They have Passovers. Yeah. You, never before has this, since the book of Acts, have not only Jewish people coming, but have Christians been so joined to Israel, so loving Israel. Your gateway is a, is a perfect example of it blessing Israel. You, and and you, this has been an inspiration to many churches to bless Israel. And you've we been even blessed. have a messianic service. The right. first yeah. service we have every month yeah. is a Messianic Jewish service. Yeah. First service. It's the first service. Because one of the reasons, Romans 1.16, yeah. not ashamed of the gospel, power of God to salvation, everyone who believes, to the Jew first. So you understand the concept. So this whole season that we're in is about a returning. A returning to what? Those that have been separated. The church was separated from Judaism. And now it's beginning to come back to the understandings of the roots of its heritage. This church, I think, is on the cutting edge of that and has been for many years. And that's one of the reasons that we're blessed the way we are. The other thing is, the, the, here's the part I want you to get to see, though. So, so, so when, you, when you understand that you're the remnant, that you've taken a stand, and, 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 and God has always worked through a remnant, and what you're going to do is you're going to affect the return of those who have left the faith. There are going to be many who have left the faith that are going to come back to the faith because they see your life and they see what you're doing and God is going to use you as an instrument of returning. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Just, just don't compromise on the word. Don't compromise on, 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 on your faith in any way, shape, or form. Remain, stand strong. Stand strong in the faith and let your faith be a witness to them and they will come back. If you believe that, say amen. And they are going to come back. It's part of the whole season. It's a season of returning. This is why Jesus is not going to come when everything is, you know, going to heck in a handbasket. I mean, uh, the world will be in real trouble. I mean, they're going to have a lot of financial problems, a lot of other things. But the church will be strong when Jesus comes back because there's been this season of returning. Jews and, and, and Gentile Christian believers become one again, and we just begin to see a powerful, powerful setup for his, you heard what he said. Jesus said, I'm not coming back until the Jews proclaim, uh, he who comes in the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they acknowledge. And, and, and Khan is leading. He's a Messianic Jewish pastor. He's leading this, this, this movement all over the earth. I'm telling you, you, if you go to a Kufa, Christians United for Israel, you go to one of their, one of their, their, their national meetings, and you, and you have rabbis up there telling you about the programs, and then a pastor telling you about a program, and you, just, you see the unity between the two, and it's staggering. And you have to understand this. That's the most powerful political force in, the, in our nation. Why have you not heard about that? Because they don't want to, the media is not their friend, they know that. They're not out there to advertise, but they are, being, they are so effective in their, in their legislative agendas and the things that they're doing, it's incredible. And the size of it is like, they grow exponentially. They're 10 million members now. They said they're gonna be 15 million by next July. It's, it's a move of God is what it is. For the season that we're in of a returning, say, the returning is coming. And you're an important part of that as the, as the remnant. God has always worked through a remnant. Zechariah 8, 12. For the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all of these. God has got a strategic interest in you doing well. Because the world is watching you, and they know what you stand for, and you're committed, and you're unwavering, and you, and, and, and you refuse to compromise, and now he wants them to watch. He's, David said, you, you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You bless me so radically that they can't deny it. This is the season that we're entering into. It's the season of the stewards, Matthew 25, where he begins to, to put things in your in your. In your, in your fundamental influence to begin to, to steward. Jeremiah 15, 11 said, The Lord said, Surely it will be well with you, the remnant. You need to receive that word. This is an uncertain time, but if you're the remnant of God, you're going to do it. It's one of your greatest seasons that you'll ever experience. God has always had to start with the remnant. He started with all of mankind in the garden, and Adam fell. He ended up trying to do it with 12 tribes, and they eventually stumbled into pagan activity, and so he ended up boiling it down to one tribe, 
One tribe eventually began to fall into pagan, pagan activity, and he started over with one person from that tribe. He became man himself, and he started with Jesus. God is always in the process of boiling it down to the remnant that remains, and the remnant that remains is what he works through. He's testing us constantly to see if we'll stay hooked up. I saw, I saw a deal that really shook me. On YouTube, <clears throat> Elon Musk, who's the wealthiest man in the world, I don't know if you know that. And, uh, and he's not a Christian, but he's a, good, you know, he's a great guy. He's a great engineer and a lot of, a lot of wonderful, he's a wonderful guy, and, you know, all that. I'm not, but <clears throat> he has six children. I didn't know if you knew that. I didn't. And he's divorced. His uh, mother of these six children and him divorced. They lost a child. And uh, I don't know the circumstances behind the loss, but very few marriages, if you're not in Christ, can make it through the loss of a child. And I saw a video of his wife doing one of those TED Talks, his ex-wife. And she talked about how the only thing that could give her comfort, boy, this makes, breaks your heart. This is, where, this is why we need to stick to it, because they need peace. They need to find a place to find peace. She said the only thing that could make her feel any comfort is, is in California, they had this pagan ritual where they would go out and build these, these wood huts and, the, and, they would, uh, and they would go out and they would chant and speak all kind of incantations to them and she would put a picture of her lost child in there and they would set it on fire and burn it. And somehow that made her feel better. It's demonic. Can I get a witness out of somebody? It's demonic. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. It's a pagan ritual. She doesn't know that. It won't make her feel better in the long run. The only one that can make her feel better is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can console her and heal her heart. But I had such, such empathy for her because she has wealth beyond anything you can imagine. And the woman is absolutely desperate for peace. That's why they will come here. It says so. In the, he said, in this place, the Lord said, last verse, chapter, verse 9, in this place I will give them peace. They will come here because they're desperate for it. They will see it in you. You've got peace. The world's falling apart all around you. You're not worried about it because you've got a plan. That's what will attract them. That's the reason that they will return. Can I get a witness out of somebody? So there are five principles, though, that this is my word for the remnant today. There are five principles of resistance that you're going to have to learn if you're going to hang tough, if you're going to stay committed until the end of the ride here. Number one. You've got to answer this question. Is, is resistance God's will? Have you ever wondered about that? Judges 3, 1 and 2. Whenever the children of Israel had taken over the promised land, eventually there was a generation raised up that didn't have to fight in the Canaan Wars. And so here's what God said. He said, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. These were the adversaries of Moses when he came into the promised land or Joshua uh, 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 anyway that generation that came in there said this is the only so that the generations of children of Israel might be taught to know war at least those who had not formerly known it will God will God just allow me to be tested will God actually allow resistance in my life oh Lord he did better than that he raised you up an enemy you know why? Because you won't be worth killing if you don't learn how to fight. Can I get a witness out of somebody? If you don't learn how to fight for the promises of God, if you don't learn how to fight a spiritual campaign, how to launch an air war through prayer, if you don't learn how to attack the strongholds of the enemy, you're not going to be any use to God. So he's more than willing to allow a little bit of resistance to pop up. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't create the resistance. He just allows it to happen to see how you will react. Are you going to quit? He ain't going on the battlefield with somebody that's a quitter. He wants somebody that knows how to stay the course and fight the good fight of faith and see it come to pass. That's what he's trying to teach you how to do. So some of the resistance that you're experiencing in your life has serving a purpose. But the good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is no temptation, that's the same thing as testing, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man, but God is faithful, and he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But in the with the temptation, he also makes a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, the test will come, but there's a way out. Are you looking for it? 
He'll make a way for you to get out of the bind that you're in. But you have to be in tune with him. You have to be focused on him. You have to be standing your ground, facing your giants and not running. You can't run from your giants. There'll just be another one that will pop up somewhere else. Can I get a witness out of somebody? He wants you to learn how to face them. He wants you to learn how to overcome resistance through prayer, through decreeing the word. So the summary here is God doesn't test us directly. He just merely allows the enemy to test us to see how that we react and for us to learn some lessons. So all through the scripture, here's what it says. Blessed is he who overcomes. Blessed is he who overcomes. God wants to see what you can overcome. So he lets you. But he never will let you be crushed by the resistance. He'll always provide a way out for you. So is, God, is resistance God's will? Sometimes. Sometimes he lets you experience a little resistance in what he wants, what you're trying to accomplish in your life. Number two, the just got to live by faith. It's the only way you can live. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Brother Robert mentioned it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You can't live by your sight. Hebrews chapter 11, 2 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things unseen. You will never be able to see it. When God calls you to begin to believe for it, it will not be visible on the horizon. It will seem impossible. It's always going to be impossible. If it isn't bigger than you, it can't be of God. When he calls you to believe for something that absolutely is... We were just talking about a couple in here several years ago at Pentecost that they had been trying to have a baby for uh, years and years. Anastasia ran into them, and, 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 and they were discouraged. They were just very discouraged. And, and, and Carol had a prophetic word for the woman, and she said, God is about to open your womb. And so hang on to that. She hung on to that word. They believed that word. Anastasia ran into them the other day. said, they got kids. Look like ducks strung out through the... They got, they got five or six kids. They were hoping for one. The father's going, stop that praying thing. <laughs> All she had to do is she had to just refuse to succumb to the resistance and speak to the mountain and speak the prophetic word to the mountain. Come on, somebody. And believe it. And now they have so many kids that I think they're all about to go crazy. Hallelujah. Faith is the thing that the God will require from the remnant. And when we, don't, when we see what we see cannot move us, we have to be moved by what we believe. God will require you to prove to him that you can believe it when you don't see it. That's faith. Certainty of things hoped for and evidence of things unseen. Number three, what is it the enemy's trying to block? Did you ever ask yourself that? John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, the thief doesn't come except to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He's saying the abundant life is opposed. So when an obstacle comes up in your life, could it be a chance, could, could, there, be, could there be a chance that the enemy deliberately blocks everything that leads to your potential and to your promise? Could it be that because he's opposing the abundant life, every time, have you ever noticed every time you get a prophetic word, the next day the exact opposite happens? Have you ever noticed that? Say it's resistance. And what God wants to see is, can you believe your way through that? Or are you going to make an agreement with your circumstance? Or are you going to maintain the agreement with the prophetic word? This woman that we're talking about, she went through more. She had more resistance. She had more struggle. She decided she would believe the prophetic word and she would stand on it. What is it that the enemy is trying to block? What is it that's on the other side of the obstacle that you're facing? You know what it is? It's your blessing. It's your blessing. So... You need to understand that the way out with God is never around it. He ain't going to let you go around it. The only way out with God is through. Say, I'm going through. He wants you to learn how to depend on Him and depend on His grace. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And depend on the things of your prayer life. And press in and go through the resistance, the obstacle that you're facing. Because your blessing is on the other. Where's my blessing? It's on the other side of the thing that you're facing. 
So why would you want to turn and go the other way? That's why he won't let you go around or turn around and go back. Because your blessing is on the other side of the resistance that the enemy has put in your path. Amen? What did Zerubbabel, what did he have to learn? We've got to learn what he had to learn. Zerubbabel, in Zechariah chapter 14, Haggai chapter 2, Haggai, both these were prophets to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel brought 100,000 Jews back from Babylon to re-inhabit Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. He had, he, it was the will of God. He was in the will of God. He was called by God. He was trained by God. He was an expert on the prophetic word. He knew everything they were doing was consistent with the will of God. And he was so discouraged, he was about ready to quit. He was doing everything God said to do. He was doing it the way he said to do it. He knew that it was prophetically the part of the history of Israel to return. He had all of that. He had all of the, checked all of the boxes. And God sent him two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai. And Zechariah says in chapter 4-6 to him, he says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zerubbabel had to learn how to become holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, dependent on grace. I found this is the hardest lesson for any of us to learn, including me. And it started with a misunderstanding of what grace is. Grace is more than forgiveness. Can we get that established? Grace is forgiveness, but it's much more than that. Grace is a non-physical force that permeates the universe, that's available to you, to do in you and for you what you cannot do on your own. Grace is a force In the Star Wars movie, they said, may the force be with you. They were actually using kind of, a, kind of a romantic form of this concept of grace. Grace is something. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, go to the, boldly to the throne of grace that you might find mercy and obtain help in a time of need. In other words, you go to the throne of grace and you say, I know I don't deserve it, and I know that, that, I, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm nobody in particular except for this. I'm washed by the blood of Christ. So therefore, whatever I need, I can get if I just ask for it. But you have not because you ask not because you're not for sure if you're worth it. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the one who died for you and what God wants to do through you. And he needs you to be a blessing to those that are struggling. He needs you to rise up. He needs you to be an influence. He needs you to be successful. You're not going to be those, but he won't let you be successful if you don't learn how to rely on his grace wholly, completely. The definition of humble is not self-deprecation. It's someone who is wholly dependent on others. You can't get through an addiction without learning how to live on grace. You can't get a successful business without learning how to live on grace. You can't, you can't stay married. Come on, somebody. You can never stay married if you don't learn how to depend on grace at times in your marriage. Amen? It's more than just forgiveness. It's a very power. So Zerubbabel had to learn how to depend on that totally. In fact, they told him when the prophets got done prophesying over him, he had to do an activation. An activation is when you do something that is utterly ridiculous to your natural mind that God calls you to do, but it activates a new level of grace in your life. And so he, they told him, go get the capstone of the temple. That's the last brick you lay. That's the, that's the part they put up at the very top of the pinnacle to signify it's finished. And it, and it was pre-made and ready but they were nowhere near finished because they couldn't get it finished. And he was, and Zerubbabel was very, very, very discouraged. He said, go get the capstone, have a big parade, bring it up here and shout grace, grace, grace to it. And when you do that, it'll unlock the grace you need to finish the temple. That's what he did. He became wholly dependent on God's grace. If you're going to remain in the remnant, you better learn quick. You better be consuming grace the way a 747 consumes jet fuel on, on takeoff. You better decide today that you're going to be wholly dependent on other, something other than you. Come on, somebody. You're going to trust God completely. 
Because you can't do the things He's asking you to do without learning how to live on His grace. Number five. And this, this is the one that I'm, I'm an expert on this one. Willful disobedience. It'll bring a storm in your life. Now I've told you that all the resistance so far that we've faced has been from the enemy trying to block us. But there is one exception to this rule. And that's willful disobedience. Jonah the prophet refused to go to Nineveh. God said, go to Nineveh. I want you to minister to the Syrians. And they had killed and maimed and tortured and butchered Jews. And, God, and, and Jonah said, I ain't doing it. So he ran and got on a ship and headed to Tarshish. Can I tell you something? If you have a calling on your life, you can't run. You can't run far enough where God can't find you. And he got on the ship and he headed for Spain. And God, the word says, the Lord sent a tempest. In Jonah 1, chapter 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. If you're in a tempest right now, and it's about to break up your ship and your life and your marriage and your business and everything else, you need to examine your life and make sure that you haven't been willfully disobedient. Now, willful disobedience means you know what God said, and you said, I'll do that later, or I'm not going to do it at all. When I got called to go into ministry, I was in the cattle business. I had a successful cattle business. I was on the board of consolidated beef producers and Texas cattle feeders. I'd been the first person to build a feed yard from scratch on the high plains since 1972. I spent most of my time, a lot of my time, having tours. I had tours out of my feed yard. People were coming from, from South Africa, from Australia, from all over the world to look at our feed yard. Because no, they had, because no one had ever built one like it. Whenever I completed my feed yard, Paul Engler is one of the greatest cattle feeders in the history of the industry, called me in my office and said, I just want to congratulate you. I was by your yard. It looks fantastic. I was really a big shot. And in the spring of 2001, the Lord called me to minister full time. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can take you, now I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about you don't know what God said for sure, or you're fuzzy on it, or I can take you to the spot where I was called. I can take you to the very spot. I know what time of the day it was. I know it was in the spring. It was a beautiful spring morning. I can tell you exactly what God spoke into my heart. I want you to sell your stock in the feed yard, and I want you to go into ministry. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Not now. I hold so much money. I had a lot of cattle. I had a lot of stuff going on. Man, I couldn't quit now. This was in the spring of 2001. I didn't know that in September the 11th of that same year, two kooks would fly a plane into the World Trade Center, kill 3,500 people, collapse the market, the cattle market was locked limit down for 14 consecutive days. You know what that means? You're in and you can't get out because they won't let you trade it. In 14 days, I went from a hero to being broke. In 14 days. If I had just done what God said to do, even though it seemed utterly ridiculous, I could have averted all of that. I started trying to put my life together after 2011. And I, for two more years, I fought it, and I'm telling you, I had made my company $435,000 just trading commodities, just trading commodities. I would get a call from the, from, the, from, the, from the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange every morning for big floor traders that wanted to know what the cash market was going to be that day. And we would talk about the market. I had connections. I couldn't go broke. But when God has a calling on your life, you can run and you can hide, but it ain't going to do any good because he will find you. Amen? And so I went from, I went from being, being the golden child of the California industry to being an absolute pariah. I could not make money. I couldn't do anything right. Everything I touched fell apart completely. And I went through the worst time of my life. But I needed to go through that experience to learn that whenever Jesus calls you, you're going to have to get on the cross and get yourself crucified because he's going to use you. And he's going to kill that old man so he can use that new man. Come on, somebody. And so I was willfully disobedient. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. 
Stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He's also rejected you from being king. Now, I wasn't rejected, but for two years, I did not hear from God again. For two years, I did not hear from God again. That was a long two years. Amen. But as soon as I finally gave it up and said, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to quit depending on my ability and start depending on your grace. I'm going to do the thing you say, even though it don't look to me like there's any way out. I went ahead and surrendered to the ministry, did what God said. There was a firestorm going all around me. I just laid my ears back and said, I'm not going to be disobedient. Not one more day to the Lord. I repaid $250,000 in debt in one year. I got out of the mess that I was in because he started to help me. Come on, somebody. I was now starting to hear from him clearer than I've ever heard from him. I got, some, I got tremendous revelation from him because the resistance that I had created by being willfully disobedient was now lifted suddenly. I mean suddenly, instantly, it was gone. And when I started doing what God had called me to do, it was an amazing experience. I don't want to ever go through it again. If you have been willfully disobedient, you know what God told you to do, there's no doubt in your mind. See, for the, for the sailors on the ship, the storm was circumstantial. They, they, were, they were just there. They, were, they, weren't, they weren't the ones God was after. But for, the, for Jonah, the, the, the storm was providential. God was trying to get him to correct course. So if you have willful disobedience in your life, you better fix it, you better fix it quick. And do what God says to do, and then you're going to see that things can be better tremendously fast. These are the five things. If you don't learn this about resistance, yeah, God will let you go through some resistance to see if you can speak to it. Can you pray? Can you believe? You've got to live by faith. He's not going to allow you to live any other way. You've got to live by what you, what you believe and not what you see. He's always, always... The enemy is always going to try to block whatever God is putting in your life. So, so if there's an obstacle, here's the thing. If there's an obstacle, so, so if we reduce all this down, and we know we're not willfully disobedient, and we know that we're trying to follow God as best as we can, and we reduce all this down, here's what we know. That the obstacle has become now the path. The obstacle is exactly, not only do we not need to run from it, we need to press, persevere, and go through it because our, our destiny and our blessing is on the other side of it. So the enemy, whatever he does to try to block you, that's what you've got to pour yourself into to get through. But you've got to have God's grace to do it. You've got to learn how to rely totally on God's grace. The obstacle becomes the path. John 10.10 He's trying, to, he's trying to, to block you from what God has for you. So why would you run? Because the emotional, the emotional, you have to get, deal with your emotions. Because the devil will use your emotions to drive you in the wrong direction every time. Either fear or anger or disappointment or all of that. I, I, know that, I know we all have some of that in our life. It's never fun. But the truth of the matter is, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. God wants you to persevere in his spirit. Whatever it is you're facing, you just square up with it. Look it in the eye and tell, listen, this principle. You run from temptation, but you face your fear. You face your fear. Amen? And you get your life right with God. And this is the thing. I heard this the other day. Pastor Dane Ortland, he's written a lot of books. He said something that really stuck with me. He talked about becoming sanctified for God. He said sanctification is not accomplished by doing more or becoming better. It's accomplished by going deeper. Going deeper in Christ. You can't have a superficial little old relationship with God where you're doing a few hallelujahs and you worship once in a while and the rest of the time you're listening to, you know, beer drinking songs. But on Sunday, you know, you switch to, you know, the, the church stuff. You can't have a superficial life with Christ and survive the resistance. You'll run. You know what the path is? It says in, in Matthew chapter 7, it says it's a narrow path. And it says it's a difficult path. I appreciate Jesus for just being honest. It's not easy. It's narrow and difficult. It's easy if you become wholly reliant on me, though. Amen? And so what will happen is, if you have a superficial faith with Christ that's not been deepened through pursuing that inner life, 
whenever the resistance comes up, you'll, you'll stray off the path instead of pressing in. And that's why you have to, have to deepen your relationship with God in the times that we're living in because you shall remain, you shall overcome, you shall be a light unto the world. And they will come to you to find him because they're desperate for peace. And they see the things that you've overcome. Nobody has any respect for a rich boy that had never had to do anything or his whole life for his money, do they? No, they have respect for the guy that's stuck it out, been through hell and back, gone through difficult times, prevailed, overcome. That's who Jesus wants you to be. I call it the Red Sea Principle. The way out with God is through. Deuteronomy 28, 13, and 14. The Lord make you the head and not the tail. You shall go be above and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any words which I commanded you to the right or to the left. You stay on that narrow path, and you persevere, and you overcome, and you press through, and you win the victory in him. Blessed is he who overcomes. Now, I found out something in ministry that really did startle me when I first started in ministry. You know what it is? Everybody's got problems. My God, everybody has problems. Hallelujah. I thought there were a few people. I found out the people that don't have any problems are just living in delusion. They really have problems. They just don't want to admit it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. And that's God's plan. His plan is, is for you to learn that you don't run from the problems. You face them with him and you overcome them. And they watch you as you overcome the things that the enemy's trying to block you with. I'm just telling you, in the season that we're in, you're a remnant. It's your life they see that causes them to return. You think they've all left and they're not coming back. I'm telling you, we're going to have a great awakening in this nation, in America. There's going to be a flat fifth and last great awakening. And the awakening is going to spread. It's going to spread from the heel land out to the rest of the country. You're going to begin to see the move of God. You're, only, you're going to see it in the next few months. In the next few months, you're going to begin to see sparks of revival, revival fires starting to light up in places. And they're going to be the unlikely places. They're not going to be in the big churches. They're going to be in the little churches out in the middle of nowhere. And these revival fires are going to start because the people in, the, in those places have proven and demonstrated that they're worthy soldiers. And they won't, they're not going to cut and run. They're going to stay focused. They're going to press in. They're going to overcome. And they've got, they got difficult things. He says in here, you'll experience every problem that the rest of the world has experienced. Only you'll, you'll overcome it because you understand how to activate grace in your life. Amen. I hope this has helped you. Don't quit. When a problem pops up, identify it and attack it. Pray for a strategy. That's the other thing. People in the church, they get in a problem, and then they never back up and start to pray for a strategic. How do you want to handle this, God? They just charge in. I challenge you to look at the life of David. David never stepped on a battlefield that he hadn't prayed about. How do you want to, how do you, what do you want me to do, God? Sometimes, you know what God would tell him? I don't want you to do nothing. Go on to the next one. And then sometimes God would say, don't go in the front, go in the back. He would tell him exactly how he wanted to attack the enemy. We need a strategy from above to attack the things that the enemy is blocking our, 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 our prosperity, blocking our, our blessing with. We need to develop a strategy, then we need to press in, and we need to do it. Amen. I have just experienced both sides of God's grace, and I'll promise you being in his grace is a whole lot better than the other. Amen. How many of you are ready to fight the good fight of faith? Resistance is absolutely essential for you to learn how to overcome. And everybody has some resistance. The other thing I think that I haven't put in here, but I think is essential, you've got to surrender your life to the Lord. You've got to say, not my will, but thy will. You need to have a Gethsemane moment. I had one where I finally said, not my will, God, but thy will. You have to get to the place where your life is surrendered to him and then you're really where you need to be to attack, to fight, to overcome. Well, this didn't take very long. I'm glad. I don't have much else to say. 
you know what you can do? You can, you can pray God to remove all of the painful things in your life, and, and maybe he will for a season, but the devil's got another plan. The devil, here's, the, here's the thing about the devil. You know when the devil goes away? He goes away when Jesus comes back and puts him in chains for a thousand years. That's when he goes away. Up until then, he is operating on the earth. Why is he operating on the earth? Let me tell you why he's operating on the earth. God needs him. He's God's testing agent. You know, I did a construction job when I was a young man. We built 30 houses in 90 days. We were in a housing recession because the government had mismanaged our uh, currency like they're doing now. And we had runaway inflation. They raised mortgage rates to 23%. And they crushed the housing industry. Everybody was broke. Everybody was out of business. And uh, there was a man from Houston that bought some lots in Amarillo, Texas. And he said, I can't sell those lots without a house on them. And he, he was a billionaire. And he financed him himself. They called it a couch house loan. His name was Dean Couch. And he, he was not, he's, he was not uh, covered by the government, FSLIC. All he had to do was, he, so he could make loan money to anybody he wanted to loan money to. And, and, his, and his standard for a loan was, he'd give you a house loan. He, you, know, you know how he checked your credit? He called your boss. And if you, if you were a good hand and you'd worked hard and you'd worked for that guy for a long time and you'd demonstrate you were faithful and a good steward... He didn't need nothing else. He didn't care about your credit. He'd just come on in here, sign right here, and he'd move you into a house. He was an incredible guy. And he came up to Amarillo, and he met a bunch of us in a hotel. He rented a hotel in Amarillo, rented their lobby at the old Quality Inn out by the airport, and he put an ad in the Amarillo paper. If you want to work and you're a carpet layer or a plumber or a carpenter or, or a sheetrocker or a taper or whatever you are, and you haven't got no work, you come to this meeting, and we're going to buy you lunch. Well, that was enough to get three or 400 guys there, right there. And they were all, we were all starving. And so a guy that I had done a lot of work for told him, he finally worked a deal with him. He said they broke that up into three different, Mr. Couch built nearly 200 houses in 90 days in Emerald, Texas. And they broke that up to different contractors. And the guy that I worked for, done a lot of work for, got one of the deals. And he hired me to run his jobs. And so I ran that job for, for them for Mr. Couch tried to hire me and get me to come to Houston and, and run a big development for him down there. And I went down there fishing on his boat, or his ship actually, it sleeps 105 people. He, he told me, I said, man, well, that's the biggest boat I've ever seen. He said, you see that little life thing, life dinghy hanging on the side? Said, that's a boat. This is a ship, he said. He was kind of offended because I didn't know the difference. But, but it was so hot. Oh, my God. I'd like to have died. I called Carol and I said, we're not moving. <laughs> we're living as far south as we can live. But, my, but, but this is what we did. We had, a, we had to make sure that our concrete slabs had up to snuff concrete in them. And so my boss told me, he said, I want you to pull samples on those concrete loads. So we hired an engineering firm, and the engineering firm's job was to come out with canisters, they called them. And they would show up with these canisters, and they would catch some concrete right out of the chute of the truck. And they would let it set up for so many days, and then we'd take it and put it in a press, and they would break it. And if you bought 3,000 PSI concrete and it broke at 2,500, you got to tear the slab out and do it over. Well, when that guy showed up that first day with those cans, oh, my God, my, my phone started ringing off the hook. All these concrete guys were saying, they, they called him a name. It wasn't devil, but it was, you know, you kind of get the idea. It showed up with a bunch of these cans. What's he doing with them? I said, he's going to pull tests on them concrete. Well, what is he going to do that for? And I said, you, you said it would be 3,000 PSI contract. You shouldn't have any problem. Yeah, but we put water in it. And I said, well, it's 3,000 PSI going into the slab. Not 3,000 when it leaves the plant, it's going into the slab. And so, and so my point is, this guy, I used this guy all through this project. He was my testing agent. And they were scared to death of him. And if they were cheating, and if they weren't doing what they said they were going to do, he was going to expose that. This is the way God uses the devil. He doesn't, he, the God doesn't test you. He just turns you over to the devil and let him do it. Amen? And what you find out is that the devil is always lurking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might destroy. You may be doing good now. You may be spiritual and you may be rocking and rolling and you may feel really close to God and you just passed one of the biggest tests you've ever passed and you whoop the devil like old time butter. He ain't left. There's another test coming. Amen? When you get through one, you just know there's another one coming. 
I've seen so many Christians and they get so discouraged because they go, how come I keep going through all these things? And I said, well, a lot of it is because you just keep bringing it on yourself all the time. But you need to know this. You're in a war and the enemy is not going to go to sleep. Everything you try to do, you can expect the enemy to rise up. Because he's trying to block your blessing. And it's worked because most Christians quit. They even left the faith. Completely. Amen. I hope this has helped you. I want to encourage you. I'm going to tell you this, though. This is what I'm going to tell you. This is the rest of my testimony. I don't care how bad you mess up. I don't care how bad, willfully disobedient you've been to God and how far you stray off. When you come back, it's about returning. When you come back, God will pick right up right where you left off. He'll start again right where you left off. He's not mad. He's just waiting for you to figure it out. Amen. My concrete guys found out pretty quick. They need to keep the they need to keep cement in that concrete. Man, the next day you should that stuff was so gray coming out of that truck. I'm going like, my God, I've never seen concrete that good in my whole life. You know, it tested about four thousand pounds, hallelujah. They weren't gonna take no chances. Because they knew there was a test coming. And they knew they had to get it right. That's the way we were to live our life. Amen. I want to pray for you. What I really like about this podium is I can actually be about, I can actually dodge you in here. I can get where you, when you throw things at me, I can get completely behind it. <laughs> See, we've preached a message, and, and, and it's been the pathos of the Christian church, is that you come up here, you get saved, and everything is going to be okay in your life. You come up here and get saved, and now you've got the weapons to whip the enemy with, but don't you think for one minute he's going to quit. I want to equip you to be warriors. I don't want to equip you to be a bunch of sissies that go and quit and get off the path as soon as you get a little resistance and, and say, woe is me, and end up leaving the faith. And If we would be honest with people and say, it's about equipping you to overcome. This is what this is about. It's about equipping you to overcome. What do you got to overcome? Resistance. Because it's going to be out there. Amen.